make me feel so young. You make me feel like spring has sprung. Like the way he's speaking, his confidence is peaking. Don't like his baggy jeans, but I'ma like what's underneath them. Love is a Surfing 18. And today we are talking about love. Lots of love. Lots more love because we already did the episode. So now we are doing the script. And joining with me, talking about the script of love, 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 are three lovely ladies coming back. Oh. <laughs> Hi, I'm Mel or 47 Mel 47 on Tumblr, or aka the person that Space Orphan likes the most at this particular point in time. <laughs> I'm Kitty, and I am Slayer Kitty on Tumblr, and apparently I am just a runner-up. Hi, I am Snarky Hag, and for the purposes of this podcast, I will be auditioning for the role of Kurt Hummel. (laughs) And you got it! Oh, man. Okay, so... We are <laughs> talking about the script. I, I have to say, give a big congratulations to Darren Chris and his now fiance, Mia Swear, because the first time we tried to record this episode um, was right after they announced their engagement. And I thought that was really appropriate for an episode talking about an engagement. So best of luck, kiddos. Sure, you'll be fine. The first thing I kind of want to talk about before we get really into the script stuff is that um, coming into season five, it is a bit different than season four. It's a lot brighter. It's a lot more colorful. It's a lot more. It's got a lot more energy. And it's an interesting that, you know, it, this tragedy has happened in the summer hiatus. And I kind of wonder if you know, was Glee always going to try and go back to this kind of colorful, more cartoonish place? Or did the stuff that happened with Corey really kind of push it to say, you know what, let's just make it as fun and happy as we can? I don't know. What do you guys think? I think it's kind of both. 
I don't know. It's so hard to tell what they planned on doing and what just happened. Well, I, the only because reason the I say is not always the greatest. <laughs> the only reason I say that is because at the time when Corey passed away, they would have already had at least the first couple of scripts written. Mm-hmm. So for them to go in and make huge, huge, huge changes, I mean, obviously they had to edit some stuff. I, I'm assuming anything that could have potentially had Corey in it was removed, but I don't think they changed too much. No, I and then to think you... that they started this ascent towards positivity and brightness, all sort of in synchronicity with the fact that Rachel is getting towards this dream, you know. Yeah. It can't keep going in this sort of darker place if Rachel is like finally getting to be this Broadway star and she is supposedly the you know the star of Glee. So it would make sense that like as she's ascending that it the the beat of everything sort of ascends as well. And the the colours and and the energy and all that that started in Wonderful. So at the end of season four was already indicating this shift to to what we're seeing at the start of season five. Mm-hmm. And see, I would think that, except for that episode is literally the product of Ryan Murphy walking in and going, let's do something with the color orange this week. I still think there was a shift happening. I mean, think about all the imagery of, you know, lights out, shooting star, lights out, sweet dreams. I think that they were trying to, you know, they were closing up season four in that kind of, I don't know, atmosphere, because... Yeah. This so would you say feel. then that maybe uh, Wonderful was really an unintentional first episode of season five? Maybe in some ways. I don't know. I guess, you know, we can hear Snarky talk about how All or Nothing isn't really an ender. It's not. All or Nothing sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm... I'm Sorry. not saying that I won't go as far as saying it sucks, but no, I agree with it. it's not. It wasn't for really it a, being a, a, se- a season ender. So the bad. only the only character who got any kind of finality in, in in that episode was Brittany, and that's because we knew Heather Morris had to leave. Yeah. Though I still say it was like a more like a comma than a period, though. Huh. But anyway. Um, <laughs> Anyway, uh, getting into the script, though. Um, so I got this script from um, way back in the day. There was the Boxing Project. Uh, they did a lot of charity events. They're no longer the Boxing Project. They're a new name, and they do totally unrelated things to Glee. So, I, but I, I, yeah, I think, I, you know, you donate so much to charity, and you get a script, and that's how I got all of the scripts that I have. Uh, yeah, I just, this one's signed. Yeah, I was just going to say, these are signs. Both Darren and Chris signed them. They both have little smiley faces. I think that's adorable. And this Mine's one... it's, it's very exciting PDF. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I have actual signed copies of Chris's books, so. Sure. Yeah. You've breathed the same air. It's very thrilling. I know. And you know what? My friend was bold enough to shake his hand, and I didn't because I'm a chicken, so. I wish I would have, but he asked me a direct question, and I forgot my name. (laughs) (laughs) He he didn't call me honey, and that was, I was like, oh, oh, honey. Well, I I told him that I loved the book. It was when the first one came out that I loved it. I couldn't put it down. I read it in, like, two, two and a half hours. And then he goes, that's fantastic. Who's your favorite character? (laughs) 
happening in your life. Like, I, I am not prepared for this. <laughs> no one told me there was a test. <laughs> I was too busy just staring into his eyes, trying to figure out. You know, he was and, really there. Like, I felt like I needed to poke him just to make sure he actually existed. His eyes are a lot more green than I thought they would be. Anyway. Yeah. I don't know. He just looks at you like you're the only person in the room, and I don't know if that's something he taught himself or if that's like inherited. But cool. yeah, he'll like every time I've met him, it's been direct eye contact, and it's, it's but you know, I was that was also unexpected, so I was really thrown by the whole thing. Anyway, this it was is awesome. Not, we should move Whoops. on from the sharing stories about Chris Colfer to actual yes. scripts. Um, then um, just a couple of things. They, to collect my thoughts and then I will speak. Um, we're basically going to go through this chronologically, just pointing out the differences in the script. And interestingly, a lot of them have to do with the Kurt and Blaine stuff. Um, but I, I was looking at this earlier and there's the home ec classroom is omitted. And I'm like, I wonder what happened in the home ec classroom that got omitted. That's where they were supposed to spend the night. No, that was in the oh, home. that. Was a hallway. Uh, oh, I just it. assumed that was part of the omitted song. Like maybe they were gonna walk through oh, it. Oh, that could have been it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because they're supposed to sing "Getting Better," Kurt and yeah. Santana Mercedes. Well, and if you look at the script on where it says it's in bold, you know, Homek omitted. It has the triple stars, and if you scroll down to the song, it also has the triple stars next to it where it says omitted. Oh. So I'm thinking that you're probably correct. I well, think, and I also I think originally I they the were supposed to be any grammatical sense. Wow. <laughs> I think originally that scene was supposed to take place in the home ec room, and then they changed it to like the auditorium. Uh, well, I mean, they omitted the song entirely anyway. But yeah, well, apparently that scene just I don't wasn't meant to be. Yeah. Anyway, we'll get into the reasons what we think about that later on. Um, Starting to be getting, uh, you know, there's not really any differences in the, the the episode starts just like it does in the regular episode with Rachel doing her um, funny girl audition, and um, a lot of it. I mean, there's no there's no differences in the dialogue. Um, there is a little bit of differences with yesterday, um, just in they have her walking. Um, through a lot of different places, um, that, and it mostly, like, uh, she, there's a shot of her, like, I think this is actually in there. There's a shot of her in her apartment, though, in Loft, when she's singing, right? Because it says, bar, or Rachel at her barber shrine, taking it down and crying. Yeah, that's in I her think apartment. She does and that. I, doesn't yeah. she also walk around, well, not so much, not what was on here, but. Um, I have this memory of us talking last time about how she went to all the places that they went in the season finale of season two. It was all the places she went yeah. with her date with Finn. With Finn. When it was supposed to be not just that, but also all the places that her and the rest of the Glee Club had gone to just throughout the whole episode. Yeah. Correct. And I didn't, I didn't pick up on any of that stuff being specifically the date with Finn, but the entire song just feels like it's about Corey. Yeah. So... Yeah, I don't know Even what though, they were trying to do versus what well, I decided that they were doing. 
I think that they knew going into that that there was no way we weren't going to make that correlation. Right. And so that's why when they were filming it, I think they ultimately went with the the Finn flashbacks, even though that's not exactly what that song is about. Yeah. About. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's a little, I mean, for her funny girl audition, it is a little overwrought. Um, but well, uh, you, it's Rachel. She is overwrought. But you forgive it also because, I mean, you know the, the context of which it's being sung, so... Um, there's a, I have to read this. There's a stage direction in here. Uh, there, it's during yesterday. It says the benches where Rachel and her glee club friends frolicked so joyously before at the end of season two. Now she's walking <laughs> these mean streets alone and it's so awful. <laughs> I have no doubt that the stage direction was that they needed to frolic joyfully. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> And actually, um, there's a there's a moment she's supposed to be in a packed train car looking at her pictures, and then that happens on the bridge. In the I was gonna say there. I don't think that. As I don't a, that remember that? <laughs> maybe they couldn't do that, so they changed it. Or I think that the bridge was such a little bit more iconic. I mean, that too. I mean, that was the you know, she, her and Finn had that big moment there, and that's where you know, Spider Man slow mode walking Jane. towards him or something. <laughs> Actually, this is funny because the stage direction is that she's sitting on a packed train car looking at pictures of her and her old pals. Finn, Kurt, herself on her phone. She's looking at pictures of herself on her phone? It's uh, it's pictures, I think it's supposed to be pictures of her, Kurt, and Like the three of them? The three of them, yeah. But that just means that her, that just means that Kurt and Finn are her only old pals. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean. Well, that's true. Common usage is important. There's Mercedes, and uh, she kind of semi-talks to Santana, so... So, um, the first thing that's drastically different, this isn't even drastic, but, you know, um, is in the, uh, the the Lime aside, we get into the discussion about the Beatles tribute, and um, they are... Marley and Jake and Artie are all talking about the, um, the beat, different Beatles, and Unique's... Um, line in the episode is, I don't really know the Beatles, I'm a little on the black side, but her original line was, Paul McCartney lost his mom to cancer, so he lost himself in music to deal with the pain. Heart-wrenching. Yeah, I think uh, Unique's line in the episode is better. <laughs> well, and, and yeah. I, I think that um, it was probably an ad-lib, or something that uh, had been said off screen that ended up replacing that line because they're like oh that is better yeah Yeah. um also in um Artie and Kitty it gets into that kind of stuff and Artie has a cut line right when the bell rings and Artie's like uh turns to Kitty and he's like speaking of your chariot awaits I'm serious woman hop on board that's the cut line. Gee, I wonder why they cut that. Um, because people kept complaining that Artie's kind of an ass. <laughs> oh, man. Oh. Um, the drive my car sequence is a little different. They actually, I'm kind of surprised they, I don't know if choreographed is the right word for it, but 
they blocked it very specifically. Um, they definitely had stage directions for who was bumping into who and, you know, who they zone in on and, and everything. And I don't, I, I get the feeling. imagine that you could actually do that on purpose in the time frame that they have. You get a bunch of people in there doing bumper cars and it's just pandemonium. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Plus, there's a lot of stuff, like, this was all bumper cars, probably because of the song Being Drive My Car, and they show a lot of the carnival in general. Um, yeah. Oh, and and I still have to point this out, because there's no way that Artie would ever be allowed on bumper cars with a spinal injury. Well, probably not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Literally a lawsuit waiting to happen. So, yeah. I, Is he driving? Yeah. yeah. Oh, no, he's riding in one of the cars with Kitty, but even She's though driving. he's he's not physically driving, bumping into each other like that, I mean, that's hard oh, yeah. bumping. I just wasn't I, sure if they forgot for a second that he wouldn't be able to I would the not pedals. have been shocked at all <laughs> if he suddenly started driving the car on his own. <laughs> uh, it's I, a train sequence. <laughs> Everyone is laughing, Kitty most of all, and sparks are literally flying over Kitty and Artie's bumper car. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> These stage directions are rough. Well, do you, and you There's know, it's one kind of where funny. Sam tries to race them. Where do they think they are on a racetrack? <laughs> yeah. Apparently, these the writers have never been bumper car bumpering. Did they before. suddenly think they were doing go karts? <laughs> which well, would make more sense. That but... would have been more fun, actually. I, I don't even think this this particular song, I guess it's there to set up that Artie and Kitty are flirting, but I don't think they needed two songs, and I feel like this one is the one that could have gone. But I feel like they didn't need two different instances to out them as secretly dating to the popular kids. Right. Because um, you don't, for any reason, accidentally end up in someone's lap like that down the hallway. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's on purpose. If that's not obvious, I don't know what sure. it- Sure. The bumper cars is a lot more innocuous than riding in someone's lap. Especially because uh, uh, the whole whether or not Artie should even be on the bumper cars aside, since he couldn't physically drive the car himself, someone's going to have to drive it for him. So she has a justification. Well, I mean, he's not going to drive it. You know? So. But, you know, just sitting in his lap, wheeling down the hall, that's not obvious or anything. Um, I think we had this conversation a little bit when we did the first time script, but, uh, you know, we've gotten scripts from various points in various seasons, and you can tell they begin to get a little lazy with the script writing, in the, like, in seasons five and six, um, because season well, two... Well, actually, um, I was just looking at the date on this. It says 7-29-13. I was going to say, I just was looking at the top of this because you were mentioning the different various drafts of scripts that we've gotten from them, you know, from the over the whole of the show. Mm-hmm. And this one says production draft 72913, which means I'm almost positive that the bulk of this was written before Corey passed. Yeah. I'm guessing because he would have passed about two weeks before this. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure they had these written, and I don't know where I'm pulling this from, but 
Um, I'm pretty sure they had the Beatles tribute at least outlined. I want to say, th- didn't they say that they started it, writing it right when season five wrapped or something season because they four. wanted to, they knew they wanted to do this, so yeah. they started getting it down or something. Mm-hmm. And and drafts go through, uh, you know, I mean, scripts go through different. Um, this one is probably the one they actually shot from. It's the production draft, but um, there are different incarnations, I guess, of, of the scripts. Anyway, um, I want to say during after the Brie confrontation, uh, it says Kitty's phone buzzes. She glances on it, glances at it. Several photos and animated gifs pop up of her and Artie. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Sigh. All right. So um, we get into the spotlight diner, and this is the Rachel and Santana scene. And what's interesting is they originally had them not necessarily in the bus, which it makes a lot more sense, but in Times Square. <laughs> I can't imagine them <laughs> trying to film this in Times Square. Um, and, you know, weaving in and out as they're doing their diet. Just no. <laughs> There's a reason that didn't happen. Um, so. Um, when they get in, there is a bit of cut line, cut lines with, there's this little beat, um, after Santana says, yeah, this is Rachel, that's Gunther, don't tell him you're Jewish or black. Um, Santana (laughs) moves Rachel along, waiters rush by, it's chaos, and Santana says, look, you said you wanted a real world experience to, to help you be a better actress, right? Well, this is the real world, it sucks. An obnoxious kid in the booth behind Rachel blows into a straw and, Rachel, ouch! She turns and sees the kid. He sticks out his tongue out at her, and his sister holds up a paper placement on which she has written in crayon, I hate you. Santana guides Rachel. They start clearing a table, and then it goes on with the rest of the scene. It, yeah, I can see why they, they I bet they filmed it, but it's <laughs> I'm like, glad they cut that. Yeah, there's no. I am. Those are not world problems. (laughs) No, but I do kind of wish that we had seen Rachel get (laughs) spitballed. But those don't hurt. Yeah. It's disgusting. And after. Um, after the Rachel finishes up her line with, I want to be, I want to be a grown woman living my life and making my own way. Um, there's another bit of cut part, I guess, where Santana pushes Rachel out of the way as the waiter lunge dances by doing jazz hands, which is really funny, actually. I (laughs) actually really wish that they had left that in just for like a moment because that would have been so funny. It makes no sense if there's no music, but anyway. Rachel says, and as a member of, of a waitstaff comprised mostly of performers in training, we do get to hone in our craft, singing and dancing for an appreciative clientele. And that's when Santana says, we're basically working actresses, which makes more, well, I mean, I guess it makes sense the way they cut it, but <laughs> they didn't really need but the over explanation of it. I think the best part is, though, is the stage directions right after that line, because it says, push in on Rachel's horrified face. Oh my God, is this her life now? But they spelled Oh my God, O M I G O D. All one word. All one word. All lowercase yeah. letters. Yeah. This is her life now. It's just a fucking job, Rachel. <laughs> yes, seriously. <laughs> 
Well, you know, Rachel, she was going to graduate from high school and and, and go right to Broadway and win her Tony the first time out. God forbid she gets a job. Yeah, exactly. You know, where she actually has to do something that's not theater. Okay, so now we are getting into the first plane scene. Um, And we're going to read this to you because this one is actually a bit different. Um, So Snarky's going to be our Kurt. Uh, who wants <clears throat> to be our Blaine? Me, 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 me. Ha, ha. <clears throat> Getting ready. Or I'll do Blaine <laughs> if somebody wants to read the stage directions. I'll, I'll read Blaine. Okay, Mel's going to read Blaine. I'll do the stage directions, okay? Okay. Exterior. <clears throat> McKinley High. Courtyard. Day. <laughs> Kurt and Blaine having a picnic. It's very art-directed, even though there are kids walking around everywhere. Are you excited to go back to school? Yes, Fashion Week is coming up. This farewell picnic is the perfect send-off, though. One might even call it romantic. One might. They both smile. So, what are we doing here? I thought we were swearing off labels. I love you, Kurt. I'm sorry if that freaks you out, but this part, the romance and the love part, I'm good. I'm done. I want you. It doesn't freak me out, not in a bad way. What's the story with this New York guy? There's no story. He's nice, and people seem to like the idea of us as a couple, but it never got serious. Look, let's break it down. The last time we were dating, and I was in New York, and you were here, you cheated on me. Not acceptable. I thought you were done with me. Look at me in the eye. I'm being super serious here. I promise I will never cheat on you again. That's not good enough. I'm going to need you to actually sign a no-cheating contract. We can download forms on the Oprah's website. Oh, I goofed the line. Let me do it again. <clears throat> That's not good enough. I'm going to need you to actually sign a no-cheating contract. We can download the forms from Oprah's website. I'll sign anything. Just say yes to us being boyfriends again. Kurt thinks. What? That was bad. What? <laughs> <laughs> You've seen the episode. <laughs> I don't know. Do relationships ever really work out? I mean, didn't we all think that Bethany and Jason were forever? For every Bethany and Jason, there is a Will and Jada and a Goldie and Kurt. Come on, let's just give it a try. I can't believe we're going to do this again. Blaine smiles, grabs him for a kiss. Then Blaine jumps up. I was hoping you would say yes. I was planning on it actually, which is why I put together a little something to convince you to stay a tiny bit longer. Um, no, I am not sitting on a stool and watching you sing to me again, not ever, which is why I prepared a little something, too. Blaine is shocked. Kurt steps away, a coy twinkle in his eye. Three trumpet players stand up and start the opening bugle call of you've got to get me, uh, got to get me into, I give up. <laughs> <laughs> got to get you into my life. Blaine laughs, amazed. And then we'll, we'll talk about the, the song in a minute, but let's talk about the scene. Let's get into that a little bit. So, um, first of all, uh, um, let's talk about the fact that it's very art-directed, even though there's kids walking around everywhere. <laughs> like, I, uh, is, is the picnic really artsy? I don't know. I mean, it's nice. Definitely. Um, I don't know which one of them. These two, they yours, do not do not things sure. by halves. They're not having cafeteria lunch. When they watch TV, they have a cheese board. I mean, these two, they are... <laughs> set up you have to make a moment the thing that i don't understand is who 
who brought the picnic? Which one of us is make? Which one of them is making the romantic moment? I think it was Blaine because Blaine. It's, impl- one was- it's implied that it's Blaine, which makes a lot of sense. It's a farewell picnic, so Blaine's yeah. put it together for Kurt. Oh, that's true. It's also very traditional and doesn't have any um, weird. Not weird, but, like, edgy flashiness to it. There's nothing yeah. that's trying to be a little bit off-kilter, which I think Kurt would have a little bit of that, or maybe something sparkly. <laughs> Blaine has a very tasteful, romantic, um, what-you-might-hope-for-in-a-field-of-lilacs kind of situation. Yeah, exactly. They're drinking lemonade out of canning jars. It's all very, <laughs> it's all you very know. romantic. Now, it's all very Midwest chic. Yeah. Very <laughs> That's what I was looking for. But those, like, mason jars are still the rage. Mm-hmm. It's very Pinterest. Yeah. It is. Yeah. I'm just thinking of Oh, Kurt I'm sure Blaine has it, a Pinterest. Some, Blaine has a picnic printer, Pinterest. <laughs> oh, he has so many. <laughs> he started planning this. He was like, pin, 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 pin. <laughs> I can just imagine if Kurt did it, something would have been bedazzled. Um, yeah. The picnic basket. But I, you know, this the first set of cut lines. Um, we have one might call it romantic, one might, and then I, I love the little flirtiness there. Why this whole section? I don't know why it was cut. And then what are we doing here? I thought we were swearing off labels. You know that means that they've been screwing around, <laughs> which is exactly what Kurt said he wasn't gonna do. He's such a sad ass liar. <laughs> But I feel like that that particular line, the swearing off labels, sort of for what happens later on in the episode, they perhaps need to be just a little bit more solid in terms mm-hmm. of where their relationship right. is at at this point in time for that to make a little like I mean it's out of the blue as it is, but for it to make a little bit more sense, they have to be like Kurt's got to be a little bit more yep. I'm in rather than he's got to be more on board with relationship yeah. terminology if they're swearing yeah. off labels there's no way he's going to put a ring on yeah. yeah um i also think like this next part where blaine's like i love you you know i'm done with that and chris says it doesn't freak me out not in a bad way and i kind of miss that too because yeah he's like yeah i'm there too not i mean and i feel like maybe it was cut because they felt like they were giving too much away and they still wanted this proposal thing to be like up in the air but i don't know i think it could have i think it should have been in um, yeah, yeah. But I don't like the exposition that Kurt has in the script for Adam. But I also wasn't really very satisfied with what was on screen either. It's different. Well, they had to do something, and I think part of that was because they didn't get the actor for Adam back. No, they didn't so, ask him back. There's a difference. Yeah. Well, okay. So if they weren't going to bring the actor back, I mean, you basically left with exposition. Yeah. Well, Unfortunately. I guess I just wanted Kurt to explain that he wasn't that into Adam in the end. Now, um, one thing that they changed that I actually like um, was Blaine's line. It says, I thought you were done with me. Look me in the eye, etc." And they changed it to, we've been through this. And um, it, which implies that they have been talking about the cheating and they have been talking about the relationship. And there was a longer conversation that we just didn't see earlier or whatnot. Yeah, um, I like that. They also cut Kurt's line, which I think is a good thing. They cut Kurt's line. That's not good enough. Um, you know. Yeah. Because that is, feels so harsh. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas in the episode, it comes across 
as a, like now it comes across as a joke. Oh, I'm going to need you to sign a contract. Yeah. Well, and then, to actually, literally, and, I want you to sign a contract. Oh, yeah. well, because when he says it in the episode, he's kind of like grinning at him like, I think I'm going to need you to sign a contract. We can get one from Oprah's website. <laughs> now, I want to note something here. I want There's a couple of things I want to note here. Uh, first is there's no stage directions for most of this conversation. So that was Direction and Chris and Darren who added all of that flurriness into it. Um, and kudos to them for doing that because, like, they really, you know, there's nothing here to, to this could go in a... Like, you could read this script like this that we had, and it, it could be very cold. It could feel very, like, we know it isn't because we've read it, we've gone through it, and we know what the writer's intentions are. But I think there's multiple ways you can read it. And I think it's great that they were intuitive enough, everybody involved, to really get the what the scene meant. Uh, yeah, because yeah. especially it's with... By, it's written by one of Glee's not great writers. <laughs> But it's directed by one of their better people that comes in to direct. Yeah, who usually directs. And you've got two actors who, who, from all the things that you read about them, are like they're very giving. They play play around with ideas. They move things around. They like they they really know and understand their characters. Yeah. Well, and I also that's the other point I wanted to make. Um, A lot of stuff. I wonder how much is ad libbed. I mean, if you go through this. Especially Darren cannot get his lines exactly right. Like, there's nothing that's exactly like it's. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's just Darren. <laughs> but but comparatively, like, you look at... I started, like, it feels a little bit more organic because the rest of the script, pretty much everyone says their lines verbatim, except for the Kurt and Blaine stuff. And, I mean, you, some of it really works, like, with the Coach Roz stuff. Like, she just patterns on with that thing and they, they write that very well but then like when I look at the Kitty and Artie stuff and I'm like now that I know how it's written and how it's done it, even though that relationship works and I do think there's chemistry there comparatively it feels a little stiffer and I, I just yeah. have to I, I think that the you know Darren and Chris make Kurt and Blaine come alive through their awesome acting skills I think they're I don't know it just really works for me so. okay. and also and I, am I is it a fever dream that I think that when Blaine talks about um, Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn, that Kurt responds that he wants to be Goldie, which is a callback yes. to I get to yeah. be Meg Ryan? Like, yeah. that's not in the script. No, that's Kurt, a great like, parallel. Yeah. How Kurt do they not think of that? that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And, um, well, and that's the kind of thing, like, with this whole next section, I was just going to say, is that whole section, like, Kurt's lines, they could come off as really. Like, I don't know, do we really want to get back together? I mean, my God, do relationships ever work? You know, it could be really, yeah, like, down on relationships. And, yeah. and yeah, there's no the way- there's no direction before Kurt says, I can't believe we're going to do this again, which means he could be happy, like, wow, I can't believe it, or, like, downtrodden about it. Yeah, even yeah. the next line, which is stage direction, says Blaine smiles. Doesn't say anything about Kurt. And grabs him for a kiss. And here, let's talk about the, the cut kiss. Now, I think the biggest reason they cut it, well, there's two reasons I think they cut it. One is that the logistics of them meeting over that picnic basket would have been weird. Um, and it might not have been, I don't know, very easy to do. But secondly... It's possible they may have tried it and said, dude, this ain't going to work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the other thing is, though, it also, even though I would love to see them make out as much as possible... I think that it takes away from that ending kiss in the song, um, which really kind of like 
punctuates that they're back together. So I understand yeah. from a like logistical filming point, but from as a fan, obviously I wish they would be making out everywhere. So yeah, and but well, and I totally I do like kiss. Yeah, I was gonna say I do like though that they do have that big, like well they have this huge like public duet about how you know they're back together. It's a huge celebration in front of like half the school. It's very, very, very public. And then, you know, they just totally go at each other at the end of the song. And if you think, what, two seasons ago, they wouldn't even kiss on the stairwells. Yeah. Well, I also appreciate that it's um, yet another big moment that they have in the courtyard. We have Somewhere Only We Know in the courtyard. We have Blaine coming to school in the courtyard. Wait, is there another one before this Mm -hmm. one where they're in the courtyard? There is, when you sent Kirk to New York well, yeah, yes. you know, uh, it's time to begin. I couldn't think of the so they have they have all these milestones of of parts of their relationship that happen in the courtyard, and so it's as stupid as it is. They're having a picnic at McKinley. Why is Kurt at McKinley all the time? Go, you're don't go to high school anymore. It makes sense narratively, finally, that there be something for the two of them that happens in this setting. Well, and I wonder, like, I don't. I had a theory about this, and I don't know if. I did it on the other one. It's been so long ago since I recorded that. But I'm going to say it again. The first time we have the courtyard thing, um, Kurt is coming back to McKinley and Blaine is kind of being left behind. And um, the second time in season three, um, Blaine is coming to McKinley to be with Kurt. The third time, Kurt is going off to New York and um, Blaine is being left behind again. And the fourth time, this time, they are going off to New York together for good. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's cool. It's, a, I mean, yeah. I'm assuming they did that somewhat accidentally, but good job. Yeah. I'm like, I don't like <laughs> to explain that at all, but I'm like, this really works as a theory. Um, yeah. I feel like sometimes they, they stumble in a, into a lot of their symbolism mm-hmm. on accident. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, then, and then afterwards they're like, oh, we don't need to do that. Now, um, oh, another thing uh, before I talk about the song, I was just thinking about. I really appreciate because it's also not stuff that comes up in the script. Um, I really appreciate like their their uh, matching clothes. I mean, Blaine being in this bright yellow and Kurt being in the purple and green, and just the way they complement each other and how the costume department goes out of their way to not only you know mirror the stuff they're going to do later in the proposal, but also um, you know make them complementary. It just I think it's really. I want to read the stage directions for the song, um, just real quickly. Blaine. <laughs> Blaine is shocked. Kurt steps away. A coy twinkle in his eye. Who, who, which one? Oh, Kurt or Blaine? I don't know. Doesn't specify. Kurt's got the twinkle. Okay. Three trumpet players stand up and start the opening bugle call of "Got to Get You Into My Life." Blaine laughs, amazed because apparently, you know, whatever. Um. Blaine gives a little signal. Three more brass players emerge from the crowd to back of him. He gives a wink to Kurt, like, you didn't think I'd come unprepared, did you? And they sing some more. <laughs> Blaine and Kurt run up parallel stairs. They meet at the top and start coming back down the center. Row upon row of marching band fill in behind them. They're at the. They're now leading a huge wall of sound. Then they reach the bottom. The entire courtyard steps are filled. Singing more, more, more. Um, an explosion of marching band pep rally brass. It's like Ferris Bueller's take off. Everyone joining the Timeline. Um, 
The brass band jams out. The band turns in lockstep and marches up the stairs and out as Blaine and Kurt come together for a big kiss, laughing. Oh. Brad Feltrick was really into this marching band. Yeah. He was so fucking excited about the <laughs> It's all about the brass band and not about King Blaine. And I, I like that they, you know, you see the band, but it is definitely not the focal point. Um, and nowhere in there does it say, hey, by the way, you guys are totally going to steal some sunglasses for some, from some people sitting next to you. And so the only reason I can feel like that this got added in is because the sunlight was so damn bright that Darren couldn't see. Yeah. But yeah. I like it. Know, I think it adds cause he's Well, he's photosensitive, so... All I could think is that they had to work in a way for him to get some sunglasses. <laughs> um, I just love, I love read, like reading those stage directions. Those two motherfuckers play on the same song and had their own band, <laughs> the same song that they brought to the courtyard to prepare for each other. Absolutely. <laughs> and they each individually had to go to the same marching band to yeah. say. Could you imagine like the marching bands? Like, dude. Like, what the fuck? These guys just come in. Now the other one's coming. What is going on? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wait, who are you playing for? <laughs> and, I mean, and, you know, he obviously wanted us to be a huge marching band. And I don't know, the band they got, it's got like 20 people in it. That's, that's not I very good. It's supposed to be the school band. Yeah, you wouldn't want a 500-piece marching band in that courtyard. But that's but the way he writes it is like it's a wall of sound <laughs> See, and row upon row. And, and I appreciate the, the director. How you think you were going to get? I appreciate the director was like, no, let's focus on what is important here. Um, yeah. And I, I love it. I wonder how much is like how much they went through and decided to come up with their own little moves because. They're so adorable during the song. It's one of my favorite clean duets. Not like in a like the song itself. I don't really care that much about, but um, just the way they're so flirty and so like. And they're so the happy, time. and they had been so miserable for so long. Yeah. yeah. And, and it was they nice are in these to bright spring colors. And it's a bright sunny day out, and the song is all cheery and uplifting, and they just got back together, and it's it's. Very, very, very. What's the word? Celebratory. There you go. Hopeful. That's Hopeful. That's a good word too. Triumphant. And, yep. I like that one too. <laughs> um, it's not like Ferris Bueller's Day Off at all. Not, <laughs> not really, even I, remotely. And no one's joining in the chat. I don't know. I mean, no, but they are all staring like. Ooh. But I really you watch the side people because I can't keep my eyes off of them when I'm watching. I don't really, except for when like Kurt's running up and down and beating people's plumes. I, you know, I don't really pay <laughs> attention to what's going on in the background. And I, I yeah, no, I mean, as a side tangent, thinking about like, you know, I only pay attention to the background when the stuff in the foreground isn't that interesting. So no, but I mean, it's it's hard because like. It, they look kind of uninterested in a sort of way, which is the exact opposite of what these stage directions are saying they should be. That's true. Although, when they kiss at the end, it does sound like everybody's applauding, so what do I know? Yeah. And, you know, I'm glad they, I, they, I mean, the whole jumping on, it's, it's appropriate that they're jumping on furniture, but that wasn't in the script. Um, no, it wasn't. I, mean, I, I like that. Yeah. So. so, yeah, great scene. Um, and yeah, it's interesting. Like, I, I really, I am sad to see that little bit of dialogue go. Um, 
But for the most part, and I know Snarky, we talked about this in the first time script. A lot of times when they make changes to these scripts, it's usually for the better. And when we get to the cutscene, I'll go into why I think that should have been cut. But okay, going on. Um, we have it says Sue Sylvester in a Hillary Rodham Clinton pantsuit. I would have killed to see that. I'm just saying. I don't think she was wearing anything quite like that. Was no, she? No, she was wearing her track she suit. Track. Yeah. yeah, I would have killed to see what they thought uh, Hillary Rodham. See, they should have done a, a tracksuit in the style of a Hillary pantsuit. What would that, that would have been? All pants I don't even know Hillary pantsuits. Well, I'm just thinking a tracksuit, but with lapels. There you go. <laughs> I mean, they they made a tracksuit version of a wedding dress for her. So if they if anybody could do a Hillary version of a tracksuit, it would be the Glee uh, clothing department. Um, the only thing that's really different here is that Figgins improvs all of his um, lines when they're finding this stuff in his office. He's like, I didn't put that there and all that. That's all improv. Which makes sense. Um, Sue also has a cut line after she becomes principal that I'm pretty sure that they've moved this to season six because I feel like I remember it. Part of it is actually in the episode, but part of it's cut, and I'll read the whole thing. Um, Do I feel guilty about what I did? Not at all. Jesus said it best. The end justifies the means. Last time I was acting principal, I squandered an opportunity for greatness. This time, I'm going, I'm going to make it right. And then this next part is what they cut. I'm going to change this public school system in the country with my three-point plan. One, every student must maintain an A-minus average or higher. Two, every student graduates accepted into college, two colleges. And three, no fatties. No student at McKinley will have a body mass index over 22. Jesus. I'm pretty she sure. Already did the, she did the, like, the whole no fatty thing in... Was it season with the tots? There's that, that was season two. Sure. Yeah, that was season two. So she's already yeah. been on the tots. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, well, there was a little bit of it in season one, also when she was telling all the Cheerios they were too fat yeah. and they were all going on the Sue Sylvester cleanse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and season six, oh yeah, because Brittany drinks sand. Yes, <laughs> that's what's in it. <laughs> season six is when she, I'm pretty sure this three point plan comes up. I get tired of Glee's. I, I hate to like use buzzword sometimes but like the fat phobia stuff it just i get tired of it they always go there it's an easy cheap thing and i'm like come on you're better than this i mean but they cut it there so um there is a little tiny cut scene between will and figgins anybody want to be will and figgins and and do the cut scene here (laughs) i will pick you Kitty, you can I want to read the stage direction because it's my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just read the stage directions. I forgot about that. But, Kitty, you're going to be Will and I'm going to be Figgins. Okay. 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 Do you want me to start with the stage direction? Yeah, start with the stage direction. But she simply struts. As she walks off, Will walks by and does a double take. Principal Figgins? Don't call me that, William. It's like a dagger in my face. Wait, you're a janitor? I need to put Phil... (laughs) (laughs) Food? I need to put food on my family, Will. What does that even mean? I can't get a job as principal. Sue has has me blacklisted. Listen to me. We're going to fix... 
Alexis, do you understand? Sue's not going to get away with this. Push in on Will's determination. <laughs> colon. <laughs> There's a colon at the end of that. Between Fagin's putting food on his family. That's a great line. <laughs> and Will's determination. This whole think, section is like amazing. I don't think anybody needs to push in on that. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Thank you for that nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> oh. So. Oh man. <laughs> so, I think I have a tangent about this, though. That I have I ever told you that I have an issue with Matthew Morrison because he once played a character on one of my soaps that was a rapist and a murderer. Wait, 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 a second. I think I need to interject something here. Wait, Kitty, Kitty, huh? Did he murder one of your favorite characters? No. Okay, so you have a problem with this, like... Because he was creepy as shit. Okay. And... Do you know where I'm going with this? He creeps me out. Uh, Okay, Kitty. Huh? What is the difference between Matthew Morrison playing a serial killer and Darren Criss playing a serial killer? Who really lived? And really kill people. You know what the best part about that is? Is that Darren doesn't creep me out in real life, but I think Matthew Morrison would. So what does that say about him? Okay, I just wanted to clarify. <laughs> are, are you telling me I need to separate uh, fiction from reality? Well, um, no. I mean, <laughs> I just wanted to know why you have double standards. <laughs> I'm just using Because I'm allowed to, damn it. <laughs> I'm complex. Okay. Well, luckily this is not the Versace podcast, so. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, back to less terrifying things. Um, Hardy and Kitty? <laughs> yeah, Hardy and Kitty. <laughs> Which, you know, this is that well, second I don't know, song. they're singing again, so. Yeah, they're singing. It's There's not much difference. They, they added a little bit. Like, isn't there something about, like, they, she left notes on the ceiling or something? She did that in the show. Yeah. But it's not in the script. It's not in the script. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And there was, like, yeah, in the script, isn't like, she's handing something... in class. Yeah. In the, yeah, in the script, she's trying to hand him a note, but in the show didn't. She just write him a note and like leave it for him to find on a chalkboard or something. Yeah, and then up on because like he opened his locker and I was like look up and then there was a note on the roof. Mm-hmm. How she got ah. up there? No, no. She's very. She, she drew a pencil up. I swear it was like attached. To- yeah, but come on, what's how are you actually gonna get a piece of paper and a pen? Like no, no. I feel like the physics of that is too difficult for Kitty, and I just. <laughs> I think we need to push it on Mel's determination. <laughs> talk about the stage directions though for a second sure it's this long shot of Artie rolling down the hall in slow-mo he looks up his eyes brighten that trademark smile emerges Artie has a trademark smile <laughs> sure well 
Um, yeah, that one. Uh, okay. I feel like his only trademark is putting his arms up and saying, preach. You know what else he does? <laughs> he always pushes up his glasses, too. Oh, yes, he does. That's an early thing. Well, that's an anyone who wears glasses thing. Yeah. But I just know, I mean, I don't notice his smile, but I'm not usually paying attention to Artie very much, so. I mean, I'm not saying anything bad about his smile, because I think Kevin actually has a great smile. I just didn't realize that it was a trademark. Maybe it is in the writer's room. <laughs> <laughs> we need to see more scripts. We do. Where Artie actually has something to do. <laughs> um, you'll be looking for a while there, dear. Um, yeah. Tested. <laughs> And that would I wish, a oh my god, I wish we had the tested, I wish we had the whole New York arc scripts. We don't have any yeah, of that. Yes, I would kill for all of them. Oh my goodness. Because that would be, uh, I could only imagine A, stage directions, and B, what was cut. Yeah. <laughs> or how, I mean, like, how better or worse it would have been. I mean, uh, Right. Okay. Um, so the next scene is when Blaine comes in and announces that he and Kurt are back together. And I had to do Sam. Sam, you know, quarter of a street might have changed this. I, I don't know. But this is what they originally said. Woo! Marriage equality for all. And don't try to talk them out of it. Because it's true love. And they deserve the same rights as anyone. And, and I think that that's just way too... Like, he's not that wordy. No. no, because in the episode he's more like, yeah, get marriage, yeah, yeah, woohoo, and that's like it's not. Is what he says. <laughs> yeah, and then he slaps Blaine on the ass. Well, yeah, <laughs> wouldn't you? As you do. Well, yeah, yeah as one does. If you were as one does, like, you would just take every opportunity to do that. Um, now, in case anybody was wondering why Jenna Uskowitz went kind of crazy on her line. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Her lines are bolded and underlined. So. In caps. But if you look that, but, but even before that, the stage direction is anarchy with an exclamation mark underlined. Like this. It's, <laughs> they were just, you know, I'm going to propose. It's anarchy, complaints, overlapping. Why would yeah. any of these kids care, really? I mean, like, okay, whatever, Blaine, go for it. Which is what they're trying to do. I like the fact that, that because he was including vocal adrenaline in the Haverbrook oh, School that's for right. Deaf. Um, that's I why, also... because it says vocal adrenaline, no ma'am, and the Warbler, oh, and the writer actually, uh, they added to his, like, because he says the Warblers are evil incarnate here, but he actually, in the show, he says the Warblers are evil, evil incarnate little craps. No, he just, <laughs> I thought he said evil little craps. No. He says evil incarnate little craps. I'm almost positive. I'll go back You're going to make pull it out and watch it. says that it's top secret that most of them don't know that he's going to ask her to marry him. But he went ring shopping with Tina during yeah. All or Nothing. Everybody well, knows. Everybody knows. And <laughs> Kurt knew. <laughs> Everyone knows. <laughs> Kurt knew. That's right. Um, now, Jake has an improv line that I think is really... I'm, I'm glad they did that. Because Plain says, look, I just want... Um, I want this to be more than a proposal. I want it to be a cultural statement. And Jake is like, sure you do. And that's added. <laughs> and it cracks me up because I love the disdain. And you guys are just like, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> okay, bye. That's nice. And We're not really. It's sort of like, it, it comes back to it in season six when Santana's proposing to Brittany. And then like the new ones are like, what the hell is going on? And it's either unique or Tina just like, just go with it. Just go with it. <laughs> <laughs> 
they used to this. Um, so let, uh, talking about help, it goes right into help, and Blaine and Sam, all out of the movie Hard Days and Night, run through the halls with new directions chasing them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so all five of you have seen Hard Days Night. <laughs> I've never seen it. I know, that's what I meant. Like, My parents were <laughs> Beatle maniacs when I was growing up. We, I've seen, like, every Beatles movie all... The concerts and I mean I love the Beatles and they're the that's the reason why but I have seen Hard Day's Night. Um, I think there are yeah. some iconic moments from Hard Day's Night that have been there replicated are. enough in popular culture that people get that there's something happening that's not just them being weird. Um, <laughs> and not like, but sure. <laughs> Um, they also say, uh, this is funny to me, um, uh, at first vocal adrenaline is confrontational, leading naturally to a mini dance-off. I mean, how do you do that <laughs> in like a 30 seconds? <laughs> Let's see it. <laughs> Which I think it's, oh, I kind of like what they do better. They just kind of start dancing with them. And yeah. That's well, there's a couple of minutes of like, Jake does a backflip, so this other guy does a backflip, but it's, it doesn't That's a mini like dance-off. That counts. Well... I think somebody else did it. something. I don't remember, but it doesn't feel like they're like doing a dance off. It's more like, "Hey, look at this cool thing I can do. Great, I can do one too." Yeah. Or like, "Here, I did <laughs> this. Now you do one or something." But it doesn't feel confrontational. No. Yeah, I don't think Jake's backflip convinced them to be a part of the proposal. <laughs> no. Well, that was Blaine, Blaine and his puppy dog eyes. Yeah, and Blaine grabbing that girl and spinning her around. I mean, yeah. That's way more like, hey, okay. She's totally the captain of Vocal Adrenaline and was like, yeah, let's do that. <laughs> he knows who the captain is. He's reading the blogs. He's paying <laughs> attention. <laughs> he knows where to go. And then the kids rush off a stage, a la the Beatles help. And then they get to the deaf choir. Um, which is kind of verbatim. There's not really much different here. And then, oh, yeah. <laughs> the I do the, like the sign language. <laughs> Oh God! It's those McKinley nerds. Okay, um, the the, Academy, the Dalton Academy uh, daytime chandeliers, Marvel, the stench of Amber Crombie Cologne, the Warblers. <laughs> they um, must know that Sebastian was in the room. <laughs> also, you guys, if you were wondering, a la Hard Day's Night, Nick Warbler, Trent Warbler, and John Warbler watch from the retro English telephone booth as the other Warblers join in. And they put those telephone booths in specifically so they could do that shot because they didn't have phone booths there originally. Nope. Nobody has phone booths anymore <laughs> in, in, in the US, generally speaking. Because it's part of their aesthetic. What is the stench of Abercrombie cologne? I don't know, but if you've ever walked into an Abercrombie store, that's the smell. No, I haven't. Oh, the high pretentiousness. And, and, and the, the music's so loud you can hear it while standing in the mall slightly, hallway. It's a slightly fancier version of, say, Axe Body Spray. <laughs> whereas whereas Finn is Axe Body Spray, Sebastian is Abercrombie Cologne. Yeah. Neither of them are good. Perfect. Neither of them are good. I don't know what Axe Body Spray is. I don't know what Axe Body Spray is. Oh, you 
are so lucky. Oh gosh, every Jack teenage boy in America. It's what teenage boys use to yeah. cover up bo. Yep. The Australian yeah. equivalent is called Lynx. Here, I'm going to assume that Lynx. Oh is my god, god. An that is a great name. Is yeah. it like the animal? Yeah, L Y N X. These are so much better than Axe. And they have all the different, like, links Africa, like, all the different scents. Oh, my wow. God. And That's so much that, better marketed there. Man. And yeah, the teenagers like, just love to, like, spray it in the locker bays at school. And it's revolting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. what they do That's with that. So That's basically, it. Uh, only yeah. ours are called things like swagger and <laughs> like, just random, yeah. horrible names. Oh, and it yeah. sells so much. Well, it's Every- cheap. And it does cover up the B.O. Sort of. (laughs) Maybe. Every teenager between the ages of, like, 14 and 20 is wearing Axe and bathing in it. Abercrombie is like, you know, if this were an 80s John Hughes movie, they might be wearing Ralph Ralph Lowen polo. Abercrombie is sort of along that. It's not quite as fancy, but, yeah. Okay. Um, So... Moving on, they switched two scenes around, and we're going to go through with the way the script has it, but they flipped the the um, Hard Day's Night scene with the Tina Artie confrontation scene, and the reason I think they did it was that they could, Tina Artie thing is shorter, and they could stick that in before the, the um, commercial break, um, and then go into, it makes sense, I can see why they did that, it's really not even a big thing that matters that much, but I'm just pointing it out. Um, so yeah, we have, oh, the Rachel Santana stuff. Um, there is a random kind of cut line in here when she's talking about, well, first I have to, okay, first I have to read the stage direction. Rachel turns and sees Apollo and Rupert eating in the booth, which are the funny girl guys. Rachel takes a deep breath and stiff upper lips it. What does that even mean? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, they turned putting a, a take, you know, having a stiff upper lip. They put it, turned it into a verb. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Rachel's. I can totally picture it. Yeah. I can too, but I've just. That you never have. She has that determination, that like angry mouse face that she makes. They should have said. No shade to Rachel. Love it. Rachel's determination now. Yeah. Between. Push in on it. <laughs> It's better looking than Will's determination, I'm sure. Um, so this is, okay, so this is what she says, and I'll, I'll point out what's, what was caught, because it's one little thing. It says, um, when she confronts them, yes, it's me, and this is a little awkward, but no, I don't care, because I'm always professional, <laughs> always, even when it's hard, even when I overhear people calling me too young, too green, which I'm not for your information, I'm not a risk. But what the part was caught was, even when it's hard. They took that out. Um, but the thing is, like, that's the epitome of being unprofessional. Yeah. That whole like, section. <laughs> yeah. I'm professional, but I'm going to call you out on things that I overheard you talking about when you're trying to cast a show and you are legitimately supposed to be talking about. But how dare. <laughs> it's like, Rachel. Yeah. yeah. Well, and Rachel. there's more cut stuff, too, with, with uh, Rupert. I don't know. I see the director one. I think he's the director. Um, he says, um... His line in the episode says, everyone thinks they're a star. And then what's cut is, even when they're not, look around. I've broken more stars than you can count on a clear summer night in Montauk when I was... Went. And what I can tell you about all of them is when they got to off, got on that stage, I could not take my eyes off them. 
And then in the episode is, I'm not saying you're not a star, Rachel. I'm just saying you're not one yet. Okay. Yeah, he is the director. I had to think about it for a minute because he's played by, I want to say he's played by Peter Facinelli. Yes. Yes, he is. I've met him in person. He is gorgeous. <laughs> okay, Katie, do we want to talk about all the people that you've met or do you want to talk about scripts? <laughs> No, no, I can talk about all the people I met. I'm kidding. I'm sorry, kid. I just teasing This script you. doesn't make any sense. No. Because Rachel says, it's, I understand that. I also understand it's my job to prove it to you. And then she's going to leave? Yeah. To, because she's going to sing a song. No. no. It says she turns to leave, and then oh. Santana's oh. the one that says, uh-uh. We're not done here. And then she and Santana is the one that puts on A Hard Day's Night. Interesting. Is that how it happened in the episode? No, I, I, know. Rachel I don't think turns so. Thank God. Yeah, no, Rachel starts it. That's weird. I mean, even I mean, even that being like hard day's night to prove why she belongs in Funny Girl. Yeah. Okay. Not. Well, so the you, fact that she says that she understands that it's her job to prove it to him, then why didn't you prove it to him at your audition? Yeah. Exactly. Well, and also it goes to what I said back in Sweet Dreams that. <laughs> You don't, you don't just know what you're auditioning for and do an appropriate song for that audition. Hard Day's Night has nothing to do with Funny Girl. And neither is Dancing on the Tables. I, I, okay. <laughs> um, what they cut, uh, which is, makes sense because it's ridiculous, while they're singing, waiters, waiters are carrying trays, twirling around each other, spinning plates in perfect unison, like the rocket rockets or the Harm Harmonia Gardens waiters from Hello Dolly. Behind the counter, a soda jerk flips the milkshake shakers a la cocktail. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> the rest of the people at this restaurant are talented. It's <laughs> like they should be on TV. Or on stage. And then there's the thing about them. They're queens of the diner. And then when they're walking on the counter, footlights come on. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Why, they seriously underestimated this diner, or overestimated this diner set, didn't they? They did a little bit. <laughs> I mean, this this number is fine, but reading the script and the stage direction, it makes it so bad. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe I'm... I want to see them dance across a row of booths. I feel like I'm not appreciating it right. Because I'm trying to picture the logistics of it. Is it supposed to be on the table, down into the booth, up over the thing, on the table? Like, how, you know, how do you dance across a row of I have to guess that most of the directors of Glee look at the script and then throw it out, like, when it comes to <laughs> musical performances. Like, because okay. every time I read a script and read what the musical performance is supposed to be, it's not anywhere near it. Um, it's like, oh, well, the medallion says that's dumb, so we're not going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Kudos to everyone who got that. <laughs> so, um, but that's pretty much the scene. Uh, then going into the Artie Tina confrontation, there is a little bit of cut stuff here that I will read real quick. Um, Artie says, like, they can. Tina starts yelling at him. Artie's like, lower your voice, Tina, because 
Kitty's uncomfortable with people knowing she's dating, and then Tina says, someone who wears glasses, who's in wheelchair, who's in glee club, who's not a big, dumb, muscle-bound, blonde, Aryan jock hunk. And then Artie says, in parentheses, he thinks, yes, but... And then, to be honest, Tina, Kit, Kitty's super cool when it's just the two of us, and we have a lot of fun together, if you know what I mean. So, it, I'm not asking a lot of questions. So, I mean, yeah. for starters, I mean, that line about Tina's Aryan line was cut for, you know, good purpose, considering the last two guys that Kitty dated were Puckermans. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Neither, both of them were Jewish. Jewish, yeah. Um, <laughs> and Jake is biracial. Yes. So, uh, where's Tina been? Yeah, it's not yeah. Tina's type. I mean, what is really- that line actually says so much more about Tina than it does about Kitty. It really actually. sounds like Tina wants to bang Sam and Ryder. I know, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> well, and then, then there's Ari's line about, you know, obviously he and Kitty are screwing around with each other already. Um, and, and I'm just thinking back every time th- there's an episode where Artie's having like talk- talking about his relationships, I'm just going for the love of God. Please tell me these girls are making him wear a condom. Well, no. Well, that's because like, apparently not. I'm guessing that's yeah. Good point. And then Why I am I thinking go, about this? Let's move on. Well, and then I just go, oh, kitty. <laughs> Ooh. Artie rolls away off Tina, seriously dissatisfied. Well, Tina, at least we're not pushing in on Will's determination. Um, <laughs> or Tina's <laughs> determination. <laughs> okay, so the next scene is actually pretty verbatim, um, in which I, you know, I have a lot of, I give a lot of credit to Nene Leakes, because she can really sell these clients. It's pretty much the way it is. There's no real differences. There's one cut art that Will says... After Sue comes in um, and is like, why would I fire you guys? And then Will is like, because you're vindictive and petty. And what's cut is, and you can't handle seeing anyone around you actually succeed. Sometimes they cut the weirdest things. Why is this even, I don't even know. And then it goes on to Sue's stuff. But anyway, that scene is not really even worth looking at because nothing's different. (laughs) And then it's act four. Act four, and this is the omitted scene. It's omitted. It's omitted. This is the entire um, deleted scene, and we're going to read it for you so you guys can get it. Um, And then after we read through it, we will discuss it, and I will explain why I am totally cool with it being cut. So, uh, again, Snarky is going to be our parts. Um, I want to start casting parts if you guys don't jump in. No, um, who's, doing, who's doing stage direction? Well, we have to double up. So, um, like, I was Mercedes before I'll do Mercedes and the stage directions because Mercedes isn't so much. And I was Santana last time. All right. Which means okay. now you're Rachel. Okay. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Interior hallway, night. Santana, Rachel, and Mercedes are sneaking through the hall carrying sleeping bags, pizzas, and pillows. So, as much as I enjoy breaking into a school none of us actually go to anymore, will someone tell me what we're doing here exactly? We thought, since we all happen to be in town, it might be fun to have a pizza party sleepover for you. 
Uh-huh. And I'm here because Blaine keeps making up excuses for why I should stay. The latest is that we have to be together for the Million Dollar Listing finale. But why did you guys come? As stage direction. Good question. Luckily, the girls prepared their answers. I was going insane waiting to hear that I didn't get funny. The health department raided the diner. I'm signing, co- I'm signing copies of my CDs at the Lima Mall Borders. Borders is closed, and no one buys CDs anymore. Look, ladies, let me save you a lot of trouble. I know you're in cahoots with Blaine, probably the entire Glee Club. I'm not blind. I see what's going on. I have a pretty good idea of what's coming. They enter the auditorium. What are you talking about? Oh, sorry, Zip it, Barry. Zip it, Barry. The sashaying cat is out of the sequin wedding bag. Okay, you figured it out. So what are you going to say when he asks you? Yes, it has to be yes. Please prove that true love still exists. I think I am going to say yes. Yay! <laughs> and you three have to be my bridesmaids. And I will be raising the roof at your rep- at your. This is why I'm not an actor. And I will be raising the roof at your reception. But Kurt, are you sure it's such a big step? They start arranging their campsite, quote unquote, on stage. I know, but I've dreamt about marrying Prince Charming ever since I saw my first Disney musical. I just never thought it would be possible. But the world's changed, and more than anything, I want Blaine and me to be a part of that change. Aw, the girls are all moved. It's so incredible. I'm so happy for you, Kurt. You're 19 and you've already found the person you're going to spend the rest of your life with, grow old with. Old? That's right, Liberace face. After your big, amazing, behind-the-candelabra-like wedding comes 80 years of sexless, henpecking, antique-collecting, codependent marriage, followed by gay divorce or death. I, for one, couldn't be happier for you. As the girls dig into their pizza, we move into Kurt's face. A moment of cold reality. Holy crap, is he ready for this? Okay. And then there's three omitted things, which I guess are the song. Well, I bet one of them is a song. I'm guessing two other smaller scenes could have been anything, really. But It's like mm-hmm. basically Act 4, the entirety of Act 4, was omitted. And we'll talk about the, the omitted song after we talk about the scene. Okay, so I guess I'll start off with my two cents. Um, while there is a lot of fun things here, um, seeing Kurt hang out with the girls is really cute. Seeing Kurt talk about how he's always known Blaine as his Prince Charming is really adorable. The ending of this, leaving Kurt unsure and not liking the idea of marriage, just goes against a lot of things that I feel like is Kurt. Now, yeah, Kurt's definitely has doubts, and yes, that's obviously going to play in not only here, but also through all the way to season six, but I think here, just having that uncertainty, I mean, this is the kid who, in season three, said, I know who I'm growing old with, I know that we're going to just be sitting around watching J-Lo marathons, so it feels a little disingenuous to Kurt's character, that ending bit with Santana. Yeah, it was too grim. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he likes the idea of growing old with Blaine. Yeah, well, and he's already the got a bucket list. It is the line that makes him all freaked out is when Rachel says they're going to get old together, and he goes, "Old? Like he's not going to get old?" Or the idea of getting old freaks him out. And I'm like, "What is no?" And this is the kind of thing where I think that the Kurt character could have played that for laughs. 
And there's no stage direction, so it's entirely possible that some of this is supposed to be just very, the whole scene was supposed to be very lighthearted. And then mm-hmm. I read it and I'm like, Ugh, I don't like what it's implying. Right, exactly. I mean, yeah, we talked about that even earlier when, you know, this, and even more so in the first time where a lot of it kind of presents, you know, Kurt as not being ready for something. It's Kurt not like being fully into the relationship and Blaine being too into it. And the way they always acted out, it feels much more balanced. Um, but, you know, Kurt is, and we'll obviously get way in more into this when we get towards the end of season five and into season six. There are legitimate reasons for him to not be ready for marriage, to feel like they're too young. But just the idea of growing old with somebody doesn't strike me as one of those reasons. No. Well, and, he may and, not want to have wrinkles. Yeah. <laughs> the thing that Kurt's whole thing through a lot of this is that they are too young. So for him to freak out about the word old is just it's really weird. Yeah. Yeah. So and it yeah, especially right, because a lot of Kurt's like, I wanna be older, I wanna be ready, I wanna be I feel like we're too young to be making these decisions. Not like, oh God, am I signing my life away? And that's also yeah. a little bit tropey too. I, I don't really particularly like it's just like a sitcom y thing that often gets played out, like I see it in real life too, where it's like, Oh, you know, you're gonna get married, but you're, the guy's life is over and now it's an old ball and chain and all you know, all of that kind of tropiness that's in in heteronormative relationships that it isn't needed. That that subtext is not needed here at all. So Yeah. The com the I mean the conversation that he has with Bert is a much better precursor to yeah. the engagement than what he's talking about here and how he responds here in that, you know, I mean, we'll get into it in more detail, but we still get, um, you know, that perhaps he's not 100% sure in that conversation, but it's it's done in a better way than what's on the paper with this. Well, I mean, like, as Snarky was saying, had this been on screen, it might have been played completely different. Mm-hmm. But from the way that it's written, it's a much sort of darker, grimmer, precursor to to the marriage right and i i you know i don't who knows what goes on in the editor's room this was obviously filmed because we had stills from it um but whoever made that decision in the editing room good choice that that was the right choice as much as i lament having more kurt with his girls time i i wish we would have been able to see more of that in general it would have been fun so yeah to see that sleepover scene um, the song that they omitted is Getting Better. And, um, yeah, okay, so the general, you know, thought of it is that, you know, my life is getting better all the time. However, there's some stuff in it that's a little, I can see, as much as I would have loved to have Kurt sing a song, always want to have Kurt sing a song, I, this song may have not fit the best. I mean, like, in the second... Um, in the second verse, the the singer is singing about how he used to beat his wife all the time, and now he's not doing that. And that's, that's you know, it's getting better. I'm I'm not hurting my wife anymore, or my girlfriend, or whatever. And it's it would have been really weird to hear that hear Kurt singing that. I mean, maybe it would have been all four of them, and maybe it would have been Rachel. I don't know, but <laughs> it's just. It was a really weird song choice. Um, they, I'm sure there are plenty of other Beatles songs they could have used, but um, 
Again, I, like I said, I do a lament Kurt having a solo. There's obviously not, there's only really two Kurt, two, three Kurt scenes in this whole episode, but that song was not a right choice. And obviously it was cut before they even did the production of it. So that was, that was not filmed. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't even know this Beatles song when I was reading it. So I looked it up. Yeah. I was reading lyrics and I'm like, this sounds familiar. And then so I listened to it. And for Australian people out there, it's the theme song for Better Homes and Gardens, which is a television show. Well, I see it in Melbourne. I don't know if other other states do. And I'm just like, oh, I'm glad they didn't do that because it's just, I can't. <laughs> I would just have it. You would have been it. really thrown, wouldn't you? Wow. I'm like, I. I'm like, I know this from somewhere, but I couldn't pick it. And then when I listened to it, I was like, oh, my God. No, no, thank you. <laughs> so, I don't know. Do you guys have any thoughts? Because I just, like, did a whole 10-minute spiel on that. But I mean, I pretty yeah. much agree with you. I, yeah, while I, I wish that we could have gotten a scene with Kurt and the girls, this particular scene was not a good scene, and it needed to be cut. Yeah. I do love that he he's in the know, that, like, Kurt knows, like, in the years to come, he'd be the one to snoop and search and know where all Christmas and birthday presents are hidden and whatever surprises are in store. And I sort of just like that little... Blaine's going to spend the rest of their marriage trying to find somewhere to hide stuff so Kurt can't find it. But, yeah, Yeah. Blaine is so bad at, like... He has no poker face. Yeah. None. Zero. And they've been hanging out you know watch in, in, I'm putting this in quotes watching reality television like every day so I just can't imagine like even if he didn't actually see the ring box I think that he's something is up right oh yeah and oh by the way you know da 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 and oh you should stay one more day because really lame excuse reason we have to watch mm-hmm. the finale of million dollar listing yeah <laughs> And Kurt's on a, gets on a plane, right? That that's not how planes work. You don't just <laughs> yeah, well, you don't just hop on the next one. How many times has Kurt rescheduled that flight? How much is his stay in Lima actually costing him? <laughs> <laughs> um, I you know, and I will say I do really do like the line where Kurt says, um, you know, Lane was always my prince charming. I, I don't know. I think it's really sweet. It well, is I like sweet that he line. Says that he, he doesn't. He doesn't actually say Blaine's is Prince Charming, but he talks about marrying Prince Charming. Oh, true. So. Yeah, but I, I feel like it's more of trying to put Blaine back up on that pedestal a little that's bit, true. and I don't like it. Yeah, I was no, just, I, that's yeah. why. That's why I like that he doesn't say that Blaine is Prince Charming. He's just saying he talks about marrying the handsome prince and having the happily ever. Like he wants that romantic happily ever after that they have in all the Disney movies. Yeah, well, I yeah but I still feel like it's a loose metaphor, well, but, analogy, know, whatever literary word I'm looking for. It's interesting and, that... I mean, both of those, both of them have this prince ideal that they put the, that they ascribe to the other one. So it's not necessarily inequitable. Mm-hmm. I think both of them mm-hmm. feel that they're marrying Prince Charming. That's sweet. It kind of goes But it's not to... real either, though, I think. And that was part of their problem. Yeah. Sure. But this is a TV show. Yeah, well, it's... <laughs> that is true. Um, 
Ultimately, it's a TV show. It doesn't need to, Glee doesn't need to be that gritty. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Um, it, you know, and I've talked I talked a lot. I want Kurt to have everything. <laughs> um, I, I've often talked a lot about the whole clean as a fairy tale metaphor and how it kind of does this interesting thing where it starts off as the big gay fairy tale and it kind of metamorphs to being a story about two gay men in love and how they navigate that relationship. And I feel like this is kind of a crux because here we have like this proposal episode that we're going to get and it's the height of the, there is this the fairy tale happy ending, but at the same time, it's not an ending to their story. It's, you know, like it wraps up that kind of like part of it, but then we're going to go in and, and the whole New York arc thing is going to be really about, you know, two people having a relationship and navigating that. And so sure. I think it's this interesting crux of those kind of I- ideas and storytelling. So. Yeah. I like that they find a way to work some realism into their magical land. Mm-hmm. But they get to have their magical land. Yeah. I like that, too. All right. So getting into it, like this whole next scene, I'm really amazed. Um, there's really not any differences. There's one. This is the stuff where um, Kitty basically... Kitty Tina basically tells everybody that Kitty and Artie are dating, and it is like two pages of verbatim. Like nothing is different. I'm just shocked. Um, the only thing that's slightly different in the scene is that after Kitty gives her whole big speech, Unique has a line that says, "Girl, this is so next level." And obviously, Unique does not say that. <laughs> um, but that's pretty yes. much it. There was a um part of Kitty's dialogue about trying to smother the evil dark half that lives inside her is cut as well. <laughs> oh, goodness. I must have missed that. <laughs> oh, man. That's funny. But, um, and I'm just trying to quickly read through to see if there's any stage directions. But Well, there's not. some thunderous Beatlemania-like applause when Kitty and Artie kiss. Well, a Kitty plants a big wet one. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> so then we get um, we actually get another couple of swapped scenes again it makes sense why they did it um, the next scene in the episode is actually the Blaine talking Blaine talking to the boys but um, in the script it's switched with Sue and Figgins so let's do the Sue and Figgins one first anyway just to get it out of the way because I hate this well, this is, this well we can just skip it <laughs> well, there's a little bit. I'm, d- I'm being thorough here. There's only a little, oh, okay. one little. Basically, this Sue thing. says um, to Figgins, "You've never struck me as principal material." That was cut. Um, which again, like, why? Can we just talk about how, with all the stuff that Sue hypothetically planted in Figgins' office, that there's no way they'd let him within like 500 of a school. Well, no, let's talk about the fact that they wouldn't let Sue back near a school. Even her... Yeah. She, she punched the governor's wife last season. Or well, no, no, no. I mean... Or something. She covered for a student with a gun. Right. That's yeah, what I'm getting that at. Too. Like, she covered for a student with a gun. Pushes the kids around. That's it. I think she doesn't let the Cheerios eat. It's, she's not good. <laughs> she's nice to Kurt. That's it. <laughs> They're only... Re- 
redeeming quality. <laughs> I'm just saying that's the only place where she's like consistently nice. Yeah. She's nice to Kurt. She's nice, nice to Becky. Nice-ish. 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 She's nice, yeah. nice to Kurt. That's a good one. She's it. nice to Becky. She was good to her sister. This yeah. and Sue Sylvester's yeah. redeeming qualities. I'm not even sure if she was a good mother because we only saw Robin like once. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's... oh, man. Okay, so moving on. Um, again, a testament to the comedic timing of these young actors because um, this is the, you know, Blaine talking to Sam, Jake, and, and Ryder, and there are virtually no direction, stage direction. So everything that those boys are doing is absent. Like, when playing, like, the hand clap and the playing with the shoe and all the comedic. Yeah, I was going to say, one of them is, like, drawing on the bottom of his shoe or something. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, man, I'm having high school flashbacks right and it, now. And it's so high school boy. I think it's hilarious because Blaine is, like, the teacher. And it's like, you got it, you know, take care of Tina. We're worried about her. And they're like, mm, okay, whatever. <laughs> the three-way the three high five is, like, my favorite. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and, and see, that makes me wonder if, if they, like, did they talk about doing that, or did they just randomly, like, do that off, so, like, to well, no, I'm sure <laughs> so they just threw it in? I'm sure the director was like, hey, guys, let's try a few things, and they tried it, like, different ways. I mean... These like, people who don't get much screen time have so much downtime on set yeah. that you would think that they would um, work on some of these little quirks of their characters. Mm-hmm. That's possible. But then maybe they have so much downtime and, you know, the writers are all like, dude, look look how they're interacting. We should totally do that. I mean, that's why yeah. Blam is a thing. Yeah. Yes. You know, yeah, that's why yes. Sam and Blaine became such good friends is because when they had their downtime, Cord and Darren were, you know, joined at the hip or something. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and, and like I said, there are there's no stage directions in this entire scene. So, yeah, all of it, I mean, from the body language to, you know, to just, it's, it makes me appreciate them as actors a lot more. Even the weaker ones, you know, are still doing, they're not yeah. given much of anything with these scripts, that's for sure. Yeah. So. Um, I feel like I have, even though this was asked and answered last time, I'm going to say it again. I'm going to ask it again because I feel like I have to play into the whole Australian doesn't understand a lot of the American references in some of these things. <laughs> um, are Onsman chocolate cakes that good? And, and Tin Mins. Sorry, that's okay. Intimates. It's. I know you're just looking at this going. I, I don't know what that is. <laughs> There's a lot of e's in there. I just wasn't sure how to pronounce it, that. It's. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's the. I think it's the last name of whoever founded the company. You either buy Intimates, Hostess, or Little Debbie, and they're all fantastic. And entirely too fattening, and the Entenmann's chocolate cake is fantastic. You know what? To be fair, Mel, I've had yeah. Little Debbie and I've had Hostess. I've never had Entenmann's. So. Entenmann's is a slightly, slightly higher class of the other two. It's also it, it's a little more expensive, so, so yeah. that is why I've I'm never just, had it. Yeah. I, 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 um, well, you, you like low rent Hostess. <laughs> Actually, I would get them. Like, like, get them. They make like Danishes and like yeah, Danishes, donuts. Um, yeah, donuts. It's, but it's like fresh baked baked goods versus 
like your hostess and your little Debbie's come in like the cellophane wrapper. The Entenmans actually used, it's like opening the box and there it is just sitting inside. It's not like plastic wrap or anything. Yeah. So it has a little, it's a little more fresh, but you still buy it at the grocery store. Yeah. It probably costs, I don't know, $6 at most. Ish. Ish. It depends on what you want, but yeah. Can I just say, uh, Little Debbie is a terrible name for a product. If yes. only for the fact that people have to say, like Space often just did, that she has had Little Debbie. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, well, the way you say it, it's Little Debbie's apostrophe S. But then she's had Little Debbie's. Debbie's. Yeah, yeah, well, I am also Midwestern and I like to say things like as short as possible. <laughs> Say well, you will you go get me a little Debbie? Yeah. <laughs> I could really do with a well, little Debbie right now. <laughs> we don't even usually say it like I. In, you don't actually say it by the, the by brand, like, the brand yeah. name. You say it by the name of the product. So it's like, will you go get me a zebra cake or a brownie or whatever, <laughs> or a brownie yeah. or you know, ding a dong. Honey yeah, ding, ding dong. dong. I've heard, I've heard of ding dong. Have you heard yeah. of Twinkie Mel? I've seen them and I've heard of them, but I have not eaten one. Oh, that's probably for the Twinkie. best. Well, yes, it probably it's is. Twinkie we caused we can a pet- huge riot here because hostess stopped making the Twinkie for like 20 seconds. And I think the world almost melted down. <laughs> we can actually buy, we've got like like outlets here that you can buy Twinkies at. But I just, mm. At one point, boxes up. of Twinkies were selling for like thousands of dollars on eBay. <laughs> I remember that. Oh, <laughs> they're they not don't. even that good. They really aren't. <laughs> anyway, we'll be back on <laughs> random random snack cake knowledge. Anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> what happens next? Where are we? We are at um, the Ed Sullivan <laughs> show. <laughs> Oh, the boys. I do like how they did go off on that whole random, like, diatribe, yeah. like, like, about how the cake is so good. <laughs> well, um, we just did that. <laughs> so, pretty we, much. Um, so, we get into the, um, where the boys are dressed up as the Beatles. And I, the one thing has changed, they were actually all going to be different Beatles because Blaine's original line is Tina, I'm George. And this is John, Paul, and Black Ringo um, referring to Jake. And they, of course, switched all that around because it ended up being Black John Lennon. And Blaine, um, and probably because Darren is a huge Paul McCartney fan, said, I'm being Paul. Um, I would imagine that's probably was, what they went in there. They're like, dude, can we just switch? And I gotta tell you, Black John Lennon, like, the phrasing of it just rolls better. Like, yeah. The black yeah. Ringo is so awkward to say. <laughs> like something about the the C K and to the R, it's it's a weird <laughs> phonetic thing for me. See, and it was okay. So originally Sam was Paul, Ryder was John, Jake was Ringo, which left Blaine as George. And Blaine is not George. No, Blaine is not no. George. No. So Paul and Jake was John. Which means, this is too hard for my head, which was, <laughs> Ryder, I think, was George, and Sam was Ringo. Yeah, because Ryder was on the drums, wasn't Oh, he? no, so then Ryder would have been Ringo. 
Yes. However, the uh, Ringo was the drummer, so yeah. I don't remember who played the drums. Was Ryder was Ryder on the drums? Yeah, he yes, was. he was on the drums. Yep. Uh, Jake and Sam. Uh, I want to say they played guitars, didn't they? Well, and 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 Darren. Well, yeah, those are the other options. Yes. <laughs> Darren flipped his just, his uh, guitar over because Paul McCartney is left-handed, and of course Darren would know that and would flip the. He totally pseudo played it left handed because if we all hate how perfect he is. Yeah. Um, and this was set up, and I think they actually did the scene really well. This was set up to be like the Ed Sullivan show appearance that the Beatles did, and they actually did a really good job. And especially Darren actually goes way out and really mimics Paul McCartney. Um, in, and, and they have fun with all the screaming because I, I've seen that footage. Of them, and it is literally you almost can't even hear the band because the screams are so loud. Mm. Yeah. So, oh gosh, I forgot about this cut line. Okay, so after that all happens, um, Tina's like, "That was awesome." I don't understand what it was for. And Blaine says, "I can tell how lonely you you are. We can tell how lonely you've been lately." And Sam says, and this is a cut line, "And how much of a bitch it's made you." No offense. Like, Sam. Sounds a good cat. Good cat. Yeah. Sam, I don't... Sounds too mean for Sam, too. Just a little. I mean, he's had a couple of lines that were slightly antagonistic, but, like, not mean. Yeah. It sounds something more like Artie would say or something. It is actually something Artie would say. Yeah. (laughs) I wonder if Artie was originally supposed to be in this and they changed it to Sam. But I guess, I mean, it doesn't, yeah, because Artie was already doing stuff with Tina, I mean, with Kitty, so they wanted all the single, quote-unquote, guys up there. I, that makes sense. Never mind. I'm just messing myself up. I know what you mean. I get you. Trying to make logic out of it. It doesn't make any logical sense. Okay, well, moving on. Um, we kind of get into our proposalness. Um, we're going to read this out loud because there is a little bit of difference. And it has one of the worst written lines ever, (laughs) which I'm sure I'm guessing Chris Colfer said, fuck that. I'm not saying that whatever. And you'll know it when we get to it because I'm going to make sure to say it. So um, this is the Bert Kurt scene. Who would like to be Bert? I'll do Bert. Last time I did stage directions, I will do stage directions. I will just sit here and appreciate the fine performances. Okay. Let's do this. Interior. Bert's car. Day. Bert driving. Kurt in the passenger seat. I know we usually take the highway to the airport, but somebody told me about this shortcut through the back roads. Stop it, Dad. I know you're driving me to my surprise proposal. Should have known you knew. You're the kid who planned his own surprise party for his 10th birthday. That Justin Timberlake pinata was a perfect likeness. You okay? You look like I'm driving you to your execution. I can't tell. I really love Blaine. I mean, I know we have a lot of life left to live, but the part that... Jesus. But that part of me that that he makes me feel safe and loved and connected, I can't imagine ever finding someone getting in there that deeply. We are so young. That's for you, babe. I mean, you know, side note, I can, but okay. (laughs) Well, okay, let's finish the scene, then we'll talk about that, because that's ridiculous. Okay. Um, <laughs> you're, you're, 
years. Your mom and I met when we were 22. I asked her to marry me six months in. We were just kids. And it was really hard at first. You go in with all these fantasies about what your life together is going to be. Nothing but laughing and dancing around in our underwear, cooking pasta and sex. It's hard being married, though. It's hard enough being in your 20s. Do you wish you'd waited? Not one second more. I wish I'd had met her 10 years earlier. I didn't know then that I was only going to get so much time with her, that she'd leave us so soon. I'd take 50 more years of late-night fights about the gas bill or me working too late or her letting the milk go bad for 10 more minutes with her. We only got a few days when it comes down to it. Kurt, you know better than you know that better than anyone. Kurt looks out the window, thinks. Look, totally being honest here, Blaine asked me what I thought about this, and I gave him my opinion. Which was? Bert pauses, then My opinion doesn't matter here. You're your own man now, but giving you a choice means you have to make one. Relax, hear what he has the hear what the guy has to say, and I mean all you have to do is say yes, no, or maybe. Off Kurt, still unsure. Then it goes into, um, so uh, first, before we talk about that really bad line, um, Kurt, when he says that Justin Timberlake Pianiato was perfect lightness, Bert's line of I wouldn't know was not in the script originally. That's a great addition, uh, either by Michael mm-hmm. Malley or the director or whoever. It was a great addition. Um, yeah, Kurt's line, I... I <laughs> <laughs> There's wow. two, two things. First of all, let me see if I can say this. I really love Blaine. I mean, I know we have a lot of life left to live, but the part of me that make that he makes God, this is awful. Yeah. But the part of me that he makes feel safe and loved and connected, I can't okay. That is a oh god, that's just such a I just I would be rewriting that line when I read it. Like, no, I'm not saying that. Um It's like he starts with one sentence. And then he and goes ends with a completely different sentence. It's so badly. It just doesn't even make sense. No. Then, then you get the added bonus of, I can't imagine ever finding someone <laughs> getting in there that deeply. <laughs> <laughs> Which may have just been cut purely because. Oh, there's Could Chris have even been able to say that line? Without, like, I mean, I mean I just see- okay. This is this is also the you know when they do the uh, serendipities thing and he has that line about fudging nuts that they almost couldn't get <laughs> yeah. through. It's like that. I mean, in Michael Malley is, I could just see both of them being <laughs> unable to keep a straight face through the whole thing and just doubling over with laughter every time that they had to say that line. So, to the point where they like screw it, we have to cut this. I bet that wasn't even in there in the production. I mean, I bet Chris went up to them and said, "No, <laughs> just try again, guys." Just <laughs> because look at it's that. So just bad. Oh, think about bad. that line for just one moment. Think about it. Just think about, and there we go. Well, okay. I'm sure they did. I'm sure they put that in there on purpose. <laughs> that seems like something they would do. If they're gonna make a sodomy joke and all the fraudage jokes and it, yeah, um. <laughs> but, oh my god I just can't that one sentence just makes my head hurt this, this it's so hard it's, it starts terrible. with I mean comma I know we have a lot of life left to live but that part of me that he part Mate. of me that he makes feel safe and loved and connected comma I can't imagine ever finding someone getting in there that deeply 
Which means if you take the comma, if you take out the phrasing that's in between the commas, it should read, I mean, I can't imagine ever finding someone getting in there that deeply. <laughs> Those are two separate clauses. <laughs> I mean, I realize this podcast isn't the English podcast, but come on, you're professional fighters. It, it's so bad. It, it, I mean, yeah, okay, some of their stage directions are just ridiculous. We know this. And then sometimes, though, they're funny in their ridiculousness. But this is, like, a really important scene. This is a really important line. And for it to be written this way is just well, you know, mind-blowing. When you watch the actual scene and he has the line that he says there, it is still a little awkward, but, you know, it's it still, you get what he means. It's still very heartfelt. And you're like, oh, that's a little bit strange, says the writer in me. But, you know, you just, but, but the reason he, why. He is, basically just took the best part of this paragraph and, <laughs> and said, I can say this. Yep. Yep. So. Yeah. Oh, my God. All right. Um, <laughs> oh, and I also like um, in the next paragraph down where Bert says uh, where, you know, you think it's going to be nothing but laughing and dancing around in your underwear, cooking pasta and sex. They had, I don't know if Mike wanted to put it in there or if they just decided to ad lib it. He goes, lots of sex. Which is a nice <laughs> addition. But also, if you look at the way, like this is another probably directing and acting thing. The way it reads, it says nothing but laughing, laughing, and dancing around in our underwear cooking pasta. There's no comma, comma commas, underwear and cooking <laughs> pasta. So it sounds like they're talking about dancing around in our underwear cooking pasta, which I'm guessing, you know, when you watch New New York, they are dancing around in their underwear cooking breakfast. Um, <laughs> I didn't think about that. Yeah. But it, it makes more sense the way he phrases it, you know, dancing around in her underwear, cooking pasta, and then the sex, a lot of sex. I mean, just Michael Malley always knocks out of the park. Um, yep. We're grateful for him. <laughs> and then yeah. the last thing I wanted to mention about this scene was actually at the end, and I, I bet this was a Chris Cole for Adlib, to be honest with you, where Bert's line, it's just the, the line, it says, all you have to say is yes, no, or maybe. And Kurt says, is there another option? And that's not in the script, but it's a great line. Well, the, the other thing is um, this whole discussion, I want to say it's from Bert's look, I'm totally, look, totally being honest here. From that line on in the episode, they're outside the car talking over the roof. Mm -hmm. In the yeah. script, they're still in the car. See, and that's good. That's a direction thing. That's he's like, let's get you out of the car. But it makes sense because there's literally nothing from them in the car to um, Kurt going up. You know, like it's it's the way the director bridged um, going from the scene and making it get up to where to Dalton Academy. So it's not like a um, it's not like a, a, a wow. hard cut. Um, I think the reason why they did that is because they also changed. The direction of how Kurt walks into the proposal. Yep. So let's because read, read through the the, the um, I'm gonna read through the all you need is love um, stage directions, which there aren't a whole lot, but it's it's very different. We can talk about how we like what was in the episode better because I'm pretty sure we all agree on that. 
Um, <laughs> but let me read these out, okay? So Dalton Academy Day. Bert and Kurt walk into the main hallway. By the staircase, the place where Kurt and Blaine first saw each other. Rachel and Santana and Mercedes are there to support him. All the telltale horns enter to the Beatles, All You Need Is Love, can be heard coming from the top of the stairs. They look up to see a troop of horns walking down the stairs, playing the tune. Behind them, the warblers are singing. Um, then there's some singing. Next come the new directions. Will is singing with them. And then finally, Blaine comes down the stairs. Wow, this is much more wedding-like, actually. Um, as he reaches the bottom of the stairs, Vocal Adrenaline and the Deaf Choir come into the wings and join the other groups in the giant love chorus. It's very emotional. More singing. It's epic. Santana, Rachel, and Mercedes, and Bert join in at the singing, and Blaine steps forward towards Kurt, who is blown away by all of this. More singing. The song, <laughs> Giant Love Chorus, by the way. Uh, <laughs> um, the song ends, and everyone cheers. Blaine and Kurt stare into each other's eyes. Then Blaine gets down on one knee. Sam shushes everyone. Blaine has his little giant speech. Blaine reaches into his pocket, takes out the ring. Uh, and then he asks, Blaine asks Kurt Miriam. A long beat, everyone dead quiet then. Kurt just says yes. Blaine puts the ring on his finger <laughs> and jumps up and they kiss. The place erupts, hugging, kissing. It's a big and loving, celebratory and amazing. And that is all the stage directions we get for that It's so much more simplified in the script. They literally yeah. do everything right there on the staircase. Yeah. Whereas mm -hmm. in the episode, it's like... Here, do you want a tour of Dalton? Which is yeah. great because then they get to see like the, where they, you know, had their first kiss and and all of the hallway kind of, where they ran down and and held the wrong hands. Well, yeah. and I love the moment <laughs> when like Kurt comes in and he's hugging everybody and it makes it more personal with him in the new directions, which I kind of like, and his you know Santana yes. and, and Mercedes and Rachel. And I Blaine, still, to this day, though, cannot figure out what it is that Chris is mouthing when they walk into the vocal adrenaline room, because it looks like he's like, oh, my, but I can't figure out what he's saying. Well, and I also like that Blaine takes off, and, and you don't see Blaine for most of the song until the staircase, and that's when it really hits Kurt. Like, oh, my God, I really, you know, this is amazing, and I love this, and I really want to do that, and. I just, the scene is so amazing and so beautifully shot. And I'm glad this is another time to like, just screw the script. We're going to, you know, stage this the way we want to stage it. Um, yeah. You know, I like it. They, they all the important rooms. Yeah. And I like that they changed it to Blaine singing the whole thing. Yeah. Rather than have all those first parts sung by the, the different. The giant love chorus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, also, like the bubble is having a moment in New Direction. And like, no, Will doesn't need to be singing. Um, and <laughs> can I, 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 I get think about something random? I forgot yeah, to mention this earlier. This isn't the Bert scene. There are no back roads that take you to the airport. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that you know that we start with Blaine. That we start with the two of them outside of the school. And, and they're face to face. And I really yeah. love that moment. Because, you know, otherwise there's a whole heap of it where they don't, Kurt hasn't even seen Blaine yet and it doesn't, yeah, much yeah, better. With this, and doing you know, a lot of this scene reads like a wedding scene and it still does in the episode, I think. But, yeah, I love the moment when they, when he, you know, Kurt is really unsure coming into this and he is, 
Well, and I think as he goes through, he sees like he's like, wow, you know, he got Rachel and Santana and Mercedes to come back for this, and he knew I was going to need them here, or may, you know, he made sure they were there or whatever. Even though, technically, with the sleepover, he would have known they were in town, but since they cut the sleepover, it's like they just came back just for this. But I also think that when he goes up to, and this kind of is mirrored at the end too, when he goes up and he sees Blaine for the first time, it's just the two of them. It's just the two of them in this moment of understanding and and really not even the song, but verbally, not verbally, nonverbal communication through their eyes. And it's like, okay, yeah, there's this big spectacle everywhere, but it's really about the two of them. He he really and the fact that he's like walking down the stairs and it's just literally just like how they met because Blaine turns around and is looking up at him and I think that really just that flashback parallel really hits him mm-hmm. and it works so much better than Blaine coming down the stairs to him right yeah, yeah. So, Snarky you've been quiet what do you think sorry. <laughs> I was checking the clock because we were going to long. Oh, um, I agree. I do. I, I when I read through the script, I didn't like it, and it, part of me was just resisting because I love the other one so much. I had a hard time enjoying it, but through talking it out, I really do feel like no, this is just what we saw on screen was just simply better for all those little meaningful reasons. It was just better. Um, And I really like that they hit on all of these important parts of not only the Clayne relationship, but who Kurt is and who Blaine is throughout this whole thing. It really made it a kind of a wonderful experience for the both of them. Not that like it's a proposal happening to one, Mm -hmm. to, to one of them. It's more of this whole big relationship. And you know, if anything, it's a, is it fault? It's like, God, there's just like, there's too many. There's too many. There's like extra people there who don't really need to be there. But at the same time, everybody from Glee is going to get dragged into this thing because at this point, this is Glee. Mm-hmm. Like this, this, this is what the show is that's left. It's, there were some other things that it was from time to time, but this is one of their really big moments. And so it's very fitting that, that you know, the gang's all here. Yeah. And it's kind of funny now that I think of it, uh, your point of um, originally in the script, the reason why they have all of these choirs there because it was going to be one giant love chorus and then they ended up cutting it all out. (laughs) (laughs) And so, I mean, it's kind of nice. It's kind of cool to see the deaf choir signing as he's coming down the stairs and everything. But, um, and then the whole vocal adrenaline doing like fun dances in the, um, in that one room. But I just think it's kind of funny. Um, But yeah, this is, you know, a lot of, like, at least I kind of consider this kind of like their spiritual marriages at this point. And, um, and it, it yeah. I agree. I think it feels like the culmination of their journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, wasn't there one difference in Blaine's speech? I'm just kind there of... Was oh, two. There was two. There was two. Okay. Well, there, there's a lot of little things that sort of, that Darren just sort of mangled in his, in his little way. <laughs> but there was a lot. <laughs> Let me read, I'll read it out loud then. Okay. Um, we met right here. I took your hand and we ran down this hallway and it felt like we were running in slow motion. (laughs) They cut that. Thank God. Um, anyone who knows me, uh, sorry. Anyone who knows me, I don't just, anyone who knows me knows I don't just, God, I wonder he mangled this. Uh, take people's hands. I think he actually did that part well. 
anyone who knows me knows I don't just take um, people's hand. I swear he says it differently. Um, uh, I this met- sentence needs some commas. I feel yeah. you. This is rough. I just met, but I think somehow my soul knew what my body and mind didn't yet. It knew that our hands were made made to hold each other, not fearlessly forever. Which is why all of this time, it's never felt like I was getting to know you. It's like I was remembering you, as an if. Oh God, this is hard. God, I have now a new respect for Darren. As if in every lifetime, you and I have chosen to come back and find each other and fall in love over and over again for all eternity. I just feel so lucky that in this lifetime we found each other so soon because all I want, all I've ever wanted was to spend my life loving you. Yeah. So there was the line about the running in slow motion, which was cut and And fearlessly forever came fearlessly. But there's a lot of fearlessly and forever, which is good. I mean, Mm -hmm. I'm glad Darren can make his own. (laughs) It's a much better hashtag for Kurt and Blaine, fearlessly. And, you know, that whole section uh, where you started stumbling, I think that he broke it into sections and added periods or commas where there weren't any. Yeah. Because otherwise he was never getting that out. Oh, goodness. And then, you know, the rest of it's fine. But then Kurt says yes, just definitively. And I kind of like Kurt's breathless, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and um, I like that Kurt is overwhelmed. Positively. I think he almost said, like he almost said yes because, like, in, like instinctively, it's what he wants. So he said yes, but like he forgot that he was still having a little bit of doubt. I don't know. I mean, I really, I really appreciate that they have Blaine say, um, you know, Kurt Hummel, my amazing friend, my one true love. Will you marry me? Because that's a lot of what their relationship is. Yeah. yeah. Um, Friends first. Yeah. And they always, you know, and, you know, even through, Mo- like, there was a couple of episodes there in season four. But, you know, from Thanksgiving onwards, they, they've always been friends. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. So kind of to wrap it up, though, I want to end on the note that I know – that we would all love to have all of the scripts to read through stuff that we've missed and everything like that. But I, I or not, Jesus. Reiterate. <laughs> That's what, you know, a lot of times, um, I just want to reiterate, like a lot of times I, I almost want to do a loser like me script reading because that, that is just horrible. You want to talk about horrible scripts. Oh. Um, okay, these, we could do it as long as we could just make fun of all the horrible stuff in it. Uh, we could do like bad script reading. Oh, it's, it's awful. Um, <laughs> But a lot like, of times, it'd Glee, be like a masterpiece theater series of podcasts where we do reading. <laughs> <laughs> we need to do this drunk history style. Oh, yes. You have to get trashed. Yeah. I will do that. I, um, we're yeah. But um, but yeah, the, you know, Glee. You, I give it a lot of credit for, you know, the great performances and the the props and the costumes and the production value and. I have to wonder sometimes if some of their weaker episodes are more reliant on what is in the script. Um, yeah, I mean, you look at these scripts and it's like, how did they make magic out of this? It's amazing. <gasps> and so I, as much as like there are little scenes that, you know, like the box scene, really, that is a scene that I do lament not being in there. But um, for the most part, I think it's better. You know, a lot of a lot of times people complain a lot about not having more plane scenes or whatever, but like it's probably better that we got what we got as opposed to 
you know, stuff that we didn't get. So, yeah. All right. Well, that kind of wraps up our big, long discussion, um, our love, giant love fest discussion on the script of We were a giant giant love love choir. (laughs) I was just going to (laughs) say. And, um, yeah, so join us next week as we get back into the regular episodes and talking about Tina in the Sky with Diamonds. And we will see you next Sunday. So have a great night. feel so young you make me feel like spring has sprung like the